morning we continue our study of 2 Corinthians. Today we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. That's found on page 966 in the Bibles that are provided there in the rows, if you'd like to follow along as I read. And it will also be projected on the screen behind me as well. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors, and yet are true, as unknown, and yet well-known, as dying. And behold, we live as punished, and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Let us pray. I pray that you truly would reveal your glory through the preaching of your word. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Minds that comprehend with the help of your spirit and hearts that increase in their love for you. I pray that you would change our affections today. Lord, that they would be placed solely upon you. Lord, your people need your word. They need your work in our lives. We need you. We need to see you as you are. We need to respond as we must. Help us. 
I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is good that we are where we are in God's Word this morning. If we live any amount of time on this earth, we come to know what it means to face trials, to struggle. But too often we are not reminded of the importance of enduring in faith. And that God is at work in our struggles and in our trials. This morning we continue in in this section of 2 Corinthians where Paul has been explaining the ministry of the gospel and his ministry as an apostle, but we find ourselves moving from simply an explanation and description of the ministry to some application that Paul has for the church in Corinth. Now, we know that, that Paul is a minister maligned by many in Corinth, and, and this whole section has been a defense of his authority, a defense of, uh, of the validity of his ministry, a defense of his trustworthiness, and a defense really of the trustworthiness of the gospel as well. And, and we've been here a while, haven't we? And Paul says, listen, you need to know this. You need to know these things. You need to understand what is important uh, about those who have brought you the gospel versus the false teachers among you and and those who are attacking me. You, You need to see a difference, not just in the message, but in how that message shapes our lives. And not only that, you need to act. And you will see next week, when Brother Dave opens up the end of chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7, that, that, that Paul has very clear instructions that, that he begins to give for the church in relation to these things. These chapters, and specifically these verses today, carry a sense of urgency that that, that I do not think I have the capacity to communicate well to you. So, so, So take my word for it. There is a weight behind what we read this morning concerning the the importance of salvation, but also the the importance of God's sustaining grace in our efforts at being faithful under trial. And Paul does not discriminate. You will see that he talks about all kinds of trials. Now, in debating with those who hold to a a theology that that, that says that Christians are never going to face trouble in this life, 
They're, they're not going to get sick. They're not going to deal with, 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 with people turning their backs. Life's going to be easy because now they know Jesus. I've often pointed to this passage because Paul covers it all in terms of the realities of what he faced and also what we can expect as followers of Christ. I've entitled the message this morning, the, the, the So Great a Salvation. And I want you to see, as we work down, we're, we're going to talk about that salvation to begin with. But understand that, that, that the two points that follow must rest on that foundation. This morning we're going to tackle this glorious passage under three headings. First, we're going to consider the urgency of salvation. Secondly, and probably the bulk of our time will be spent on the cost of faithfulness. And then finally, we're going to end with a warning about the danger of misplaced affections in the body of Christ. And my prayer this morning, no matter what you are facing, is, is that God will use his word to equip you. To stand firmly and fully in the salvation that you have received through Jesus Christ. In your faith in God, in whatever you face in this life. May God raise up a faithful people, a dependent people, and a bold people for his glory and the growth of the church. Let, let, let's begin with the urgency of salvation. Verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, Working together with him, God, then we appeal to you, not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I have listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, we, we need a little context here. Some of you may not have been here last week, but we, last week in, in the second half of chapter 5, Paul... Paul paints a powerful picture of the work of Christ in salvation, but also the call of the people of God in the proclamation of salvation. I, I, I want to read chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. Paul writes, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. 
We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a beautiful description of the gospel, right? We, who in our sin were enemies of God, far off from him, deserving of God's wrath, God's condemnation, have been brought near to God through faith in Jesus, who came and lived the perfect life that we could not live, but who gave his life bearing the wrath of God for our sins. He took our place. So when we turn to him in faith, we are credited with his righteousness just as he was credited with our wickedness. It's the greatest news there is. If you're, if you're numb to hearing me talk about the gospel, you need to check yourself. Check your faith. It's the greatest news ever. Paul says, listen, we've been given this message. We are God's representatives, his ambassadors. It's up to us through our life and through our witness and what we speak to tell the world of what Christ has done. In verse 1, Paul says, we've been called and equipped by God, working together with him we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. That phrase, working together with, is one word in the original Greek. And it's the Greek word that we get the word synergy from. Synergy, you know, the describes a, a, a working with or, or, or a partnership that takes place. Paul says, working with, with God, we appeal to you. This is God's ministry. All faithful ministry is done in partnership with God. We recognize as Christians that, that, that we are called to deliver a message and we do so in faith, seeking God to do the work of regeneration, awakening hearts and minds to the truth so they can respond in faith to the gospel. The same is true with our efforts of, of love and mercy. Maybe it's not particularly a, a gospel effort, but we still are at work recognizing that all of our efforts, we need God to undertake on our behalf. This is true of, of any type of ministry, whether it be the pulpit ministry, the food bank, our efforts at personal evangelism, we want to see lives changed. We want to see unbelievers coming to faith in Christ. There's, there's an urgency there. But we also want to see Christians built up in the faith, do we not? We, we want them to be able to, to stand up under trial because day by day they are tangibly experiencing God's grace and his sustaining grace at work in their lives. 
So we need to understand in the context of all churches, all visible churches, not, 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 not the true church, but in all visible churches, you have believers and you have unbelievers. It's true here. Some churches, there are times when even the pastor may not truly be converted. But, but it's important that we are true to that gospel message so that people will know. I grew up in the South where everybody is a Christian by, 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 by basis of, of being born into a family that went to church and sat in the same seat for all their lives. Well, we know that doesn't save anyone, right? But, but it's easy to adopt that attitude, and if you're offended when I'm talking about same, sitting in the same seat, it's really okay. <laughs> you're welcome. But the importance is that we do not make that the basis for our understanding that we are right with God. God is not impressed by perfect attendance in Sunday school. That's actually a thing. In both of the churches that we served in down south, one when we first got married in Columbia and the other in North Carolina, that was a thing. People held their perfect attendance in Sunday school to, to this great standard. Now, it's awesome that, that somebody's that committed. But, but if you're banking on that to, to, to make you right with God, you've missed the point. We, we don't want there to be any question, the elders and myself, to anyone who ever walks in this door, the way to be reconciled to God. The problem is you, you can be an unbeliever and you can hear the gospel proclaimed, proclaimed regularly and, and still not believe. And that's why we pray and we ask God to, to be at work in your hearts and your minds. And Paul addresses this here in verse 1. He, says, he, he warns of the danger of receiving the grace of God in vain. He says, working together with God, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. What, what does it mean to, to, to receive God's grace in vain? Well, I'm glad you asked. There, there are really two ways that we can understand this phrase. The, the first is, is being exposed to the gospel but not being converted. Okay. That would cover those in the context of the church who, who attend, maybe are involved, but they never truly responded in faith and repentance to the message of the gospel. They have not turned away from their sin and turned to God in faith. But another way that you can understand that phrase is, is, is that Paul is writing to the converted who were being led astray by the false teaching that existed in Corinth. And as a result, they were failing to, to fully experience the, the benefits, the, the, the grace of God in their day-to-day -day lives. And, I, and I really both fit in that situation. And, and both need to be addressed, right? If you have both in the congregation, then, then, then both need to be addressed. There's the, the danger of, of, of being present in the body but not a part of the true church unbeliever and there's the danger also of uh, of being led astray or having faulty understanding of, of what it means to be redeemed and thus when things get tough when trials come 
We cave under the pressure. Paul then quotes an Old Testament passage as it relates to salvation. Verse 2, it says, For he says, God says, In a favorable time I have listened, listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Now, Paul quotes Isaiah 49 because this is a messianic passage. It's an Old Testament picture, a uh, passage about what the Messiah would do for the people of God. And, and so Paul wants the church at Corinth to understand, to, to feel this sense of urgency as it relates to their own faith and also how their, that faith should inform how they respond in their situation where Paul and the faithful teachers were under attack. Paul says, listen, now is the day. This is the day. And that day continues until Christ returns that being restored to God is available to anyone who truly responds in faith to the gospel. That door is open. Now is the day. That's why every time anybody who preaches up here at some point calls the unbeliever to, to respond in faith to what Christ has done for them. It's why you hear the gospel repeated over and over and over again because we understand that now is that day. There will be a day when that offer is no longer on the table and it will be too late. And you need to feel that. Especially if you think what I'm saying is a, is, is a load of manure. If that's your attitude con concerning this thing called church and this act of preaching, you need to understand that his patience will run out. And, and that if he returned today and, and, and redemption was what was no longer available to, to anyone outside the faith, he would be just in doing so. That any of us lived long enough to, to come to faith in Christ is a gift from God. We did not deserve it. You need to, you need to, to feel that, Kristen. You need to feel that as well. I, I hate to talk about feelings too much because they, 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 they are often misleading. But, but we need a sense of the weight of what's going on here. God's patience will run out with this world. And that might mean for some of us, family members who die outside of Christ. We need to be burdened by that. Do we believe what we say we believe? If we do, if we, if we do, why, why aren't our hearts breaking? For those outside the faith. Brothers and sisters, this is the time when God's salvation is available to all who believe. Now is that day. Paul makes it clear. And again, this it should create an urgency when we share it with others concerning the gospel. That, that cannot be ignored. Spurgeon writes, Because Jesus has died, the partition wall, the dividing wall, is broken down. The great gulf between a holy God and unholy man is bridged by the atoning blood. 
ye, old school, you may be reconciled. There is no reason why the terrible quarrel between you and God should continue. And therefore, because reconciliation is possible, it is the day of salvation. He just said it a lot better than what I tried to explain. Now is that day. We don't earn our way there. Sunday school attendance doesn't do it. Faithful church attendance doesn't do it. Good deeds don't do it. Faith in the one who died and rose again for you. That's what does it. Let's continue. The cost of faithfulness, verses 3 through 10. Paul continues, We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for, for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. The cost of faithfulness. Now we saw in, in 1 Corinthians that the Apostle Paul denied himself many rights that would have been his as an apostle in order to bring the, the gospel to Corinth. Remember, he didn't even take money from the church. He, he, he was a tent maker. He, he did vocational ministry so that his ministry would not be confused with other philosophers who came to town. It mattered. His, his focus in ministry was to be faithful to God and faithful to God's gospel. And Paul wanted it to be clear to, to the Corinthians, to the Philippians, to the Colossians, to the Ephesians, and, and everyone else that salvation is, is a gift that can only be received through faith in Christ. And Paul says, listen, we have done nothing that would any way bring confusion to this gospel message. That's his point in verse 3. We, we've put no obstacle in front of anyone the obstacles are twofold. There, there, there's the, 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 the obstacle of our own sin when we come to, to recognize our need to, to turn away from our sin and to turn to Jesus in faith. But then there's also obstacles that others put before us. In the case of the Corinthians, there was the, the, the false gospel that was being preached. These create obstacles to salvation. For the Corinthians, it was legalism. But it can also be true of, of erroneous views of salvation as well. When we begin to make salvation, our, 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 our sins forgiven, our, our res restoration to God, about things other than God, then we are in danger of putting ourselves in trouble in our understanding. And, and this affects how we stand up under trial. 
But we must understand and we must delight ourselves in the reality that, that the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ goes far beyond escaping hell. It goes far beyond simply eternal life in heaven. That's great news. It goes far beyond being a part of a church family, although that's pretty nice as well. To the greatest news of all, that we who were apart from God have now been restored to him. That is the goal of the gospel. The, the false teachers in, in Corinth were, were making it about other things. They were legalists. They, they wanted them to jump through hoops and hurdles that, that had hints of the old Judaism. Paul says those are obstacles to, to true salvation. Those are obstacles to, to understanding the, the glory of the gospel. What, what does Paul refer to his ministry as in, in chapter 5? The ministry of reconciliation, restored to God. And Paul understood that, that faithfulness in this life would lead to suffering. And that is true for us as well. Paul says with endurance, which means steadfastness with patience. There's staying power in true endurance. With endurance, we face these trials that are common in life. That's the first three. These afflictions, these hardships, these calamities. You can, you can chalk all of those up, not to Paul being an apostle, but to the reality of living in a fallen world. That, that, that word uh, afflictions re relates primarily to, 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 to the illnesses that we get. We, we know from Paul's own testimony that, that, that at one point he was almost blind because he was sick. So these are things that we can all relate to, right? We deal with afflictions. We, we get Ill, ill. We deal with hardships. Bad things happen in our lives. We face calamities which seem to, to threaten our very existence on this earth. But Paul endured, and, and by his example, brothers and sisters, we can endure as well. But you need to understand that, that those three categories that the Paul writes of there are things that are common to all of us. Any of us who live on this fallen planet for any amount of time, this will be our experience, our reality. But we can endure patiently and steadfastly and not just endure but, but, but find victory through Christ in the midst of these circumstances I look around this room and I see faces that, 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 that I have grown to love for the past almost 10 years. And, and, and I know many of your stories and, and the things that you've been through and you've endured. So, so this is not news to you. I know that. But the great thing in the midst of that suffering and, and in the midst of those hardships, time and time again, I've, I've seen faithfulness. I've seen faith in God in the midst of seasons where the answers were not obvious as to why things happen the way they do. And so this morning I say to you, brother Christian, sister Christian, 
Keep enduring. Trust Him. Lean upon Him. And He will carry you through. And not only that, He will grow you through it. Part of what made Paul who he was was his experience of God's faithfulness in the midst of the trials that he faced. We cannot lose sight of that. I believe it was Paul Washer that said that that the greatest threat to the church is not persecution, it is prosperity. And I think there is truth to that. Because when we've got it all, we take a lot for granted, do we not? Yes, we do. The, 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 the second group of trials that Paul describes resulted from persecution. He, he writes of beatings, imprisonment, riots. We, we've chronicled the life of Paul before. We know that, that, that unfortunately for Paul, this was, this was normal. Now, for most of us, as it relates to, to, to our efforts at sharing and, and ministering the gospel to others, we, we don't experience this a whole lot right now. But, but just as I said that that first group is, is the suffering that we will all walk in, we need to understand that this second group of trials, this second type of suffering, is suffering that we will likely face at some point in our lives. The gospel is becoming more and more offensive in the society that we live in, but will we stay the course? The final group of trials related to his care, his ministry for the churches. He writes of labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Paul suffered for the churches. He knew what it was to, to go without in order to be able to care for others. He, he knew what it was to, to lose sleep over the condition of, of, of the Corinthian church. He knew what it was like to, to, to labor faithfully and, and, and have seasons where it did not seem like much fruit was being born. And I would say this is the type of suffering that we should experience more of. I wrote about the urge, or I spoke about the urgency that we should feel as it relates to the gospel. This should increase our boldness and our desire to, to, to proclaim that word. It should cause us to lose sleep over those that we love, that, that, that may be in the faith, but, 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 but wandering or struggling, and also those outside the faith. We, we should know what it means to, 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 to labor to the point of exhaustion, even if it's in prayer, for the souls of those outside the faith. And we should be willing to sacrifice. So first we see sufferings we do endure. Secondly, suffering that we are likely to endure. And finally, Suffering that we should endure more of as we seek to be faithful. But Paul makes it clear that he's not writing as someone who is bitter about all that he has endured. 
In fact, Paul was joyful. I think a lot of times when we think about the Apostle Paul, because at times he can write so powerfully to the churches that, that we think he must have been this crotchety guy, right? But no, I, I believe that Paul, the Apostle Paul was probably one of the most joyful people who's ever lived. Why? Because he understood the gospel. He understood the treasure of all that he had in being reconciled to God. In fact, he, he doesn't stay in the trials, but, but, but he begins to, to go on and, and, and talk about what, or write about what pulled him through, what, what enabled him to, 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 to endure faithfully. His life was marked by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit. That's talking about the, the, the work of the Spirit in his life. Sincere love, truthful speech. And, and, and in the Greek, that really indicates he's talking about his teaching. He taught what was true. He'd experienced the power of God and, and spiritual war for the good of the church. Paul says, listen, I've endured, we have endured as those called to minister the gospel because of what God is doing. It's because of these trials that we are experiencing God in these ways. We're growing in righteousness. And that's a quality that we should all be growing in as we seek to follow Christ faithfully in this life. This practical righteousness as we grow in our faith. Paul makes it clear that this growth is all the work of the Spirit and it's essential to our remaining faithful under all circumstances. God's Spirit at work as we understand the Word of God. Paul continues by describing how the world viewed his ministry versus the reality. We could call those paradoxes of Paul's ministry. And he goes on a long list. He says, people consider us as imposters, but we are true. We're unknown, yet well known. I believe he's referring to the churches. As dying, yet we live. As scourged, that means to be beaten within an inch of your life, yet not executed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, but making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. Now remember, the, the Corinthians did what? They looked on the outward appearance. They were like most people. They looked at Paul and, and his companions and the suffering they endured. And they said, you know what? You can't be faithful to God because of all the trials that are going on in your life. Everything that you're enduring, you must be doing something wrong there, pal. But in these verses, we see Paul makes it clear. You see us this way, but this is what is true. How different would our estimation of our lives look if we were able to put on such heavenly goggles in relation to our perspective on life. If we saw things as God saw things, if we began to view our trials as, as God views those trials, 
As we begin to see the results of those trials, not simply through the lens of, of escaping trouble in this life, but, but seeing God's hand bringing us triumphantly through, victorious. Paul says, you see us as paupers, as, as fools, Yet this is what is true. Brothers and sisters, how we value the gospel and our relationship with God will directly influence how we view trials and how we deal with them. Will we, with Paul, learn to patiently and faithfully endure only as our view of the gospel and the God who saves us expands in proportion with what he says about himself and his word. We need to remember that suffering in faith with joy is, is one of the strongest testimonies that we can give concerning the truth of the gospel. A God that, that, that only has us covered or has our back when things are going great is, is not a God that is going to appeal to those who do not know him. The world needs to see that salvation and the God who saves is a God that is greater than our trials and our struggles. And again, I'm not minimizing the struggles that we go through. There are things that, that, that feel like they are going to kill us at times. But will we look strictly at our circumstances are in faith will we seek to look to the one who has promised to sustain us. And the key is simple. We will learn to endure faithfully as God's priorities become our priorities. Discipleship comes at a cost, even here in the good old U.S. of A., where we have it pretty easy. But if we are going to follow him faithfully, it will come at some cost. Are we ready to pay it? Horatius Bonar. It's a good thing I didn't know this name before we had kids because one of them would have been named Horatius. The road to the kingdom is not so pleasant and comfortable and easy and flowery as many dream. It is not a bright, sunny avenue of palms. It is not paved with triumph, though its end is in victory. The termination is glory, honor, and immortality. But on the way, there is the thorn in the flesh, the sackcloth, and the cross. Recompense later, but labor here. Rest later, but weariness here. Joy and security later, but here endurance and watchfulness. The race, the battle, the burden, the stumbling block, and oftentimes the heavy heart. Greater days are to come. Paul concludes with the danger of misplaced affections, verses 11 through 13. Paul writes, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, but our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. 
In return, I speak as to children, and, and you should really understand that as Paul saying, I speak as to my children. He's writing very fatherly here. Widen your hearts also. Again, I want to, to wrap things up quickly, but this is a very important point. We need to keep in mind the context. The, the Corinthians' dismissal of Paul's authority and trustworthiness led to their doubting the validity of his message. I mentioned that earlier. And the influence of the false teachers had led some in the church to begin to love a false gospel. So Paul is, is really, although he's speaking lovingly and fatherly here, what he has to say is of the utmost importance. And he points to his own approach, which has been brought into question by the Corinthians. He says, listen, it has been my goal all along not to do anything other than, 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 than to reveal to you the gospel of Jesus Christ and the God to whom that gospel reconciles you. In other words, Paul says, I have loved you well. Our hearts are wide open to you. You have nothing but our deepest love and affection that, that has driven all that we have done. And now I ask you, Corinthians, to, 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 to set aside your misplaced affections. You're looking on the outward. You're believing the lies. Set those aside because they are weakening the church. And to return to their former love to him and to the God whom he proclaimed. Paul says, listen, my love for you has not wavered. He views himself as their father in the faith. And, and what we find here in, in Paul calling them to change their affections, to change the things that they valued, is a timely warning to us as well. We are tempted in this life to love all the wrong things. We love the approval of men. Well, if Paul was about the approval of men, then he would have watered down the gospel that he brought to Corinth. We are tempted to love our comfort. If Paul loved his comfort, he would not have suffered so much for the sake of the gospel. Misplaced affections affect our faithfulness. And this really is Paul calling the church to repent of and, and to replace their affections. He wants them to, to love him as they ought, as the one who is their spiritual father. But more than that, he wants their affections to be shaped by their heavenly father as well. It matters what we love, brothers and sisters. It matters how we love. We must be on guard against those things that would draw our faithfulness away from the God who saves us. One more quote, Jonathan Edwards, as we wrap up. Spiritual emotions result in Christian practice because their object is the loveliness of spiritual things, not our self-interest. 
People have a defective Christianity because they are seeking their own interests in it, not God's. So they accept Christianity only to the extent that they think it serves their interests. By contrast, a person who accepts it for its own excellent and lovely nature accepts everything which has that nature. It's a pretty clear line in the sand as it relates to our understanding of salvation. Are we embracing all that God calls us to and offers us through Christ? Are we simply looking for a religious fix or experience? Brothers and sisters, the gospel, the, the true gospel calls us to embrace a God that is far bigger and far greater than we could ever imagine. And as we begin to, to, to see him as he is, we are changed. We are transformed. It, as we saw in chapter 4, it's not immediate. It's one degree of glory to the next. But the change begins to happen as we see God in his majesty. And we want more of him. That is the gospel that saves. Jesus died to restore us to a God whose glory we will never fully comprehend in this life. And in eternity, I think we will be blown away day after day after day as we see him and in even greater glory. This is the God to whom we have been reconciled. This is the God who will sustain us in our trials. This is the God whom we are called to proclaim in this lost and dying world. May God help us to be faithful in this calling. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Again, I pray that you were honored in such a feeble effort and that you will be at work building your church, building this church, increasing our joy and our faith in you, increasing our faithfulness and equipping us to follow you more faithfully. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.